0: Welcome to The Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain, inspire, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week in The Kick, we've got the occasionally not-so-glamorous life of being a pro runner and a dad who proves it's never too late to give up on your Olympic dream. But first, a special two-part piece on Team Red, White, and Blue. The nationwide nonprofit aims to enrich veterans' lives by connecting them to their communities through, among other things, physical activities like running. Editor Christine Fennessy spoke with Team RWB's executive director, Blaine Smith, about the organization and what led him to become a part of it after serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Then she went for a run with a local chapter of Team RWB to learn about the impact the group has on both veterans and civilians alike.
1: It's important to me to be able to say thank you to be able to raise the flag as I just did when that horn blew. I love this country. I love the people that make up this country. And I really believe that we can make a difference as a civilian to those veterans that sometimes, unfortunately, feel like they're left behind.
0: Thanks for joining us. Blaine Smith served two combat deployments, one as a lieutenant leading a scout platoon in Iraq and one as a detachment commander for a third special forces group in Afghanistan. Today, he is the executive director of Team Red, White and Blue, an organization that helps veterans transition to civilian life. Blaine's own struggles with moving from soldier to civilian will sound familiar to many veterans and their family members. Editor and show producer Christine Fennessy got to know Blaine during her reporting for a story she wrote for Runner's World back in March 2014 about veterans who use running to combat symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. She spoke with him recently about his combat experiences, about the difficulties he faced coming home, and about how running and Team RWB gave him back much of what he thought he'd lost.
2: Hey, Blaine, thanks for joining us on the Runner's World Show.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
2: Can you just, for people who don't know uh, of Team Red, White, and Blue, just kind of give us a general overview of it, you know, who it's for, its, it's mission, and, uh, you know, kind of like how sports like running fit into that mission.
3: Sure. So Team Red, White, and Blue is a national nonprofit organization, and our mission is to enrich the lives of veterans by connecting them to their community through physical and social activity. And so what that looks like in reality is we have chapters in about 180 cities right now, about 110,000 members. And a local chapter will have many opportunities per week for veterans to connect with other veterans and maybe more importantly, with other members of their community through positive activities like running or yoga, CrossFit, uh, volunteerism, and things along those lines. And we think it's really important because what we found is that you know many veterans, what they miss the most when they take off the uniform. And one of the things they they struggle with the most when they transition into civilian life is just having that sense of community and the camaraderie and those things that we miss uh, from our time in the military. So that's what we're trying to provide for veterans and we're trying to provide it for communities more broadly.
2: Can you just take us back in time a bit and, and tell us a little bit about your background both uh, in the military and uh, as a runner?
3: Absolutely. So. I was uh, on active duty in the Army from 2001 to 2010, so if you you know look at the calendar, that's a pretty busy time to have been, been an Army officer. I was actually commissioned a second lieutenant out of West Point on June 2nd of 2001 and really thought my Army career was going to be pretty boring, and then I was down at Fort Knox in the officer basic course, and 9-11 happened. And we didn't know at the time exactly what that meant for all of us, but you could sense that the trajectory of our lives was changed. I went to Fort Hood, Texas, and spent most of 2004 over in Iraq in the Baghdad area. While I was there, I met some guys from 5th Special Forces Group, and I felt like when I got home that if I were going to go back to combat, I wanted to go and do what those Special Forces guys were doing. I felt like if anybody was going to actually make a difference and sort of accomplish our goals, that they had a chance of, of doing it. And so I went to Special Forces Selection right after I got home from Iraq and uh, spent almost two years sort of getting through all of that training and and education. I did a a combat deployment over to Afghanistan. My Afghanistan deployment was very different from my Iraq tour, and both were challenging in ways. But over in Afghanistan, uh, very early on in the deployment, um, we lost five of our teammates. Um, It was a very sort of traumatic week, week and a half for our team and we still had probably five months left in our deployment. You know, we didn't really know kind of how to process that. And if you'd asked if if we wanted to go home, I think all of us would have said no. And it's not necessarily because we wanted to stay and fight, although I think many of us did. I, I think we wouldn't have even known what to do. We just wanted to be with each other. And you, you sort of stuff it, especially me. I was the commander of the detachment. So you sort of stuff your grief. You don't really deal with it and process it. Then five months later, you, you you come home. And for me personally, my wife at the time was, was pregnant with our second child, but I got home. He was born about a week after I got home. And so, you know, now you're back in the United States and you're thinking, well, now I'm supposed to be happy. And so then you don't really deal with your grief then either. And you just stuff it a bit further. And then, you know, six months later, I'm transitioning out of the army, which was kind of my plan. And, you know... It, It didn't take long until I was looking at myself in the mirror uh, each morning, you know, wearing my tie and going out into my driveway and getting in my Camry and driving around the state of Florida and doing sales calls to hospitals and surgery centers and doctors. And I spent a lot of time alone in the car and I had a lot of grief and a lot of pain that I just had never really dealt with. And though I was transitioning successfully by many of the standard measures, I had a job, I had a family, you know, I was providing I was just riddled with guilt and and even shame at times, and I had all this time to think about it, and it just really started to tear at me, and it, it started to make me just a, an unhappy person. I, you know, I, I started feeling resentful toward uh, my job, toward the money that I made, toward the big house that I lived in, even to my family to some extent because I, I wasn't in the special forces anymore, and you know, eventually uh, I separated from my then wife. We got divorced. It was tough, and, you know, I eventually had to find a way to start making my way back toward the person who I was before. Running was a way that allowed me to, you know, to deal with what I was going through in a a positive way.
2: Can you just describe the moment where you went out for kind of that first run and, and how it sort of built up from there where you sort of found this as a release?
3: It was during that really... A crazy time when I felt like everything was swirling around me that if I just went and ran and ran really hard, I could be by myself. I could think more clearly when I was out running, I felt like ideas would come to me or I would just calm down and be, you know, less stress, less anxiety. And I just felt like, you know, this, this will pass and, and I'll figure it out. And I didn't know what that was at the time, but you know, my friend, Mike Irwin, who founded Team RWB, Mike was our, our task force intelligence officer when I was over there as a commander. And he and I would get together and run at like five in the morning on weekdays. It was just good to have somebody to talk to and relate to. And I think it's then that I realized that being out running by myself was good and therapeutic, but being able to run alongside somebody and share that experience and just have a conversation, it really started to make me feel, feel better.
2: It sort of made you realize that, you know, not only was maybe running a release, but it was also a, a way to connect. And so you're in this time in your life where you feel very separated from, from so many things that were so important to you, right?
3: Right. Because when I was in the military, I really only identified myself in two ways. I was a Green Beret and then I was a father and a husband. And, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, I was neither I didn't I felt like neither I was still obviously a father and working hard at that but everything that I considered to be foundational to my identity was was changed or gone meeting some people through running allowed me the opportunity to sort of rediscover myself and I didn't learn anything new about myself I think I just rediscovered what was already there
2: it was around this point where you're you're starting to discover the importance of running and the value that it's having in your life that you became involved with Team RWB. Is that right?
3: Mike had asked me if I would consider coming on board and and working at Team RWB. And at first I was kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe I have a really good job. I got a lot going on in my my personal life right now. But eventually I just felt like, you know what, if if everything significant in my life is going to change, I might as well just kind of do everything. And, uh, I said, give me, give me about 90 days to kind of get my affairs in order and I'll do it.
2: Why is the transition from military to civilian life so particularly hard for some people?
3: I think that what we're seeing with these, uh, these challenges transitioning from military to civilian life, it's really much more about identity and purpose and camaraderie. And you know you have had these things in spades while you're serving in the military. It's not so much that they can't assimilate to the culture or that they have, you know, a head injury or post-traumatic stress. I think for most, it's just that life outside the military is probably not going to provide you many of those important human factors that you've been experiencing. And so you've got to figure out ways to get that through other means.
2: So it seems like, you know, Team RWB has really latched on to physical activity sports like running as a way of instilling these senses of identity, purpose and camaraderie that you're talking about. Can you just talk a little bit about how your organization has really used that to sort of help ease this transition for people and you know what what is the power of physical activity to give people back these essential feelings?
3: Physical activity is, in my opinion, the very best vehicle to do this. And so when we were building out our organization, we determined that we, we needed to you know, enrich people's lives. It's, we call it health, people, and purpose. We want to be able to enrich people's lives by giving them those three things. We decided to kind of take more of the ounce of prevention approach and said, look, if we can get veterans out there exercising and doing it together, think of all we're giving them. We're giving them improved physical health. We know that exercise reduces stress and anxiety, so we're giving them improved mental and emotional health. And we know that physical activity, team sports, things like that are great ways to build human connections. So we're helping them build a new community and a new network and a new support structure.
2: You're building these communities and and they're not just communities of veterans, right? You're really trying to bring civilians and veterans together, Is, is that right?
3: Exactly. So about 30% of our overall membership are civilians. They're folks who have never served in the military. If you only include veterans in these groups or clubs, you could have the unintended consequence of actually further isolating them. And, you know, we really think that through Team RWB and through, you know, veterans and those that support them, we can show American communities what it looks like to reconnect to one another.
2: And what do you hear from civilians? Because I'm, I'm thinking of people that live in communities that are really far from any sort of military installation and want to have meaningful interactions with veterans but don't know how to do it.
3: You know, many of our folks who come out, I, it takes a while to explain to them that they want to volunteer, they want to help the vets, and I say, well, j- just come out to the run next week. But it doesn't give you that same emotional hit that like volunteering at a soup kitchen or doing Habitat for Humanity gives you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not it's not so tangible. You don't necessarily feel like you've gone and done good, so to speak. But I can assure you, if you're a civilian out there, just showing up and participating is really important and it's enough. And the other thing I would say on that is the civilians that are taking part in Team RWB are getting a lot of value out of it personally personally. Because you know we all need the same things. You don't have to be a veteran to experience depression or feel isolated or to go through a divorce. And so a lot of the civilians are getting back to us and saying, "This has been huge for me."
2: That's right. Okay, well, so um, where are you at today? You know you you took us through your story, and you know today you're the executive director of Team Red, White, and Blue. But what's the rest of your story now?
3: As you pointed out, Team Red, White, and Blue has been a big part of my life. You know, I've been working here full time now for a little over four years, and the organization's grown. We have 22 employees now. It's just it's been amazing. So, from a professional standpoint, I just could not be happier and, and more thrilled with how things have have gone. I, I'm living the dream. I get to get up every morning and work on something I care so deeply about. Two and a half or three years ago, I met my now wife, Jenny, who is amazing. We've actually met at CrossFit <laughs> at the oh, gym. Cool we got married just over a year ago. We actually have a, a little baby girl on the way who is due in September. My two sons, Dylan and Dalton, they are 10 and almost seven now. They're getting ready to finish fourth and first grade this week. Wow. It's not, you know, it's not been perfect. It's certainly not been easy at times, but going, going through what I, what I went through and, and having that experience, it opened my eyes to a lot of things and it gave me some much needed perspective about life and how short it is and how fragile certain things are. And um, really just to embrace the opportunities that you have.
2: And, and what would you say to a veteran who might be listening to this who's still, you know, just taking that step, that first step is just sometimes the hardest. And if you could reach out to that person right now, um, what would you say to them?
3: I would say that the first step is the hardest but it's your step to take. And unfortunately, nobody can take that step for you. You should come out and get connected. The community will be much more receptive than you probably think, but you are gonna to have to make that first uncomfortable step of putting yourself out there and showing up to the, the Wednesday evening run club and not knowing anybody possibly.
2: So how can people get involved in Team Red, White and Blue?
3: It is easy. You can go to our website, teamrwb.org. And at the top, there is a button that says join the team. If you click on that, it's gonna bring up an interactive map. All you have to do is input your name, your email address, and your zip code. Um, it will then prompt you to a couple other questions, whether you're a veteran, you know, if you serve in the Army, Navy, et cetera. Uh, it takes about 30 seconds. When you do that, you'll be signed up and it's free. Uh, within 24 hours, you'll get a welcome email from the national organization with some more information about how you can get involved. And you'll also get an email from the closest local chapter um, that will include things like the calendar of events and the schedule, um, a link to their local Facebook group, et cetera, And you will have the information you need to uh, decide, you know, how you'd like to start getting involved.
2: Well, thanks so much, Blaine, for talking with us today. We really appreciate it, and uh, wish you and Team RWB be the best.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's it's been it's been an honor to be able to share our story, and I hope that folks out there listening are able to take some good from it and, and get involved.
0: Blaine Smith is also one of the hosts of Team RWB's Eagle Nation podcast, which features conversations with amazing guests like Lisa Jasper, who's one of just three women who have ever completed the Army's ranger school. Author Sebastian Younger, whose most recent book about the military is called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. And our own Jeff Galloway, who is not only an Olympian, the creator of the Run, Walk, Run method, and our starting line columnist here at Runners World, but also a Navy veteran. Find a link to the Eagle Nation podcast, to Team RWB's website, and to Christine Fennessy's full interview with Blaine Smith at runnersworld.com slash audio. Christine really wanted to see firsthand how both veterans and civilians are finding a sense of identity, purpose, and camaraderie as members of Team Red, White, and Blue. So recently, she met up with the Lehigh Valley Chapter here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, about a half hour from Runner's World HQ, for a Saturday morning group run. Good morning, guys. Good morning, everybody.
2: It's nearly 9 a.m., and a group is gathering at Payro Plaza in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, near the public library. It's an overcast July morning, which makes the runners' shirts really pop. They are bright red, emblazoned with an eagle, and the words Team RWB. I meet the chapter's athletic director.
4: My name is Michelle Cucker. I am a civilian volunteer member. Uh, I have been part of Team RWB Lehigh Valley since the beginning, 2014. We launched our chapter here. (laughs) There comes veteran Chris McGee. You know he's around when he screams, "Woo!" Good morning!
5: Good
2: morning! Good morning! God love a Marine! As we wait for everyone to arrive, Michelle gets people to stand in a big circle (laughs) and starts leading the group in some warm-up exercises.
4: Let's just do some, like, arms, arm swings, get them
2: loose. There are some new faces this morning, so Michelle asks everyone to introduce themselves and say whether they're a civilian or a veteran.
4: I'm Michelle. I'm a volunteer uh, civilian.
1: I'm Justin, the big one, civilian. I'm Tim, veteran. I'm Mihai, veteran. I'm Cole, civilian.
2: This is just the type of community the Team Red, White, and Blue is aiming to create, one that blends civilians and veterans. The point is to break down the barriers that often prevent the two groups from interacting. When they're all out here, all clad in the same bright red T-shirt, they have a common purpose, a common point of reference. This morning, they are all runners.
4: So we're gonna, Wait for Joe, he's on his way here. We can kind of just keep loose up and down the street till he gets here, but uh, we're not gonna leave without him. Okay?
2: This reflects another core value of Team RWB. Nobody down. gets left behind. Whether they're stuck we'll in traffic and late to, to the workout or just having an off day and dragging on the run, their motto, we run is one. So while they're waiting for Joe, Chris McGee leads the group in doing 22
1: push-ups. Modify as you need to. You ready? Down, 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 down. That
2: number, 22, is symbolic. The suicide rate of our vets uh, returning from combat, um, on average, it's 22 a day. That's Bernadette Baker, a civilian who is the team's social director. So um, we do different things. Um, well, one thing, carry our flags um, when we run as a group, and we also um, will do uh, 22 days of 22 push-ups.
4: Different things just to bring awareness to people of, of you know, what our vets are going through. And.
2: Of the 16 runners in the group, five of them are carrying American flags. Bernadette is one of them, and so is Chris McGee. I ask him about the flag that he's carrying. He's a little embarrassed to admit that it's not actually his because he forgot his and had to borrow one today
1: but normally the flag I run with, I actually flew when I was in Iraq in 2009. uh, We raised it at uh, joint security site in Nasser Wasalam and then raised it again when I was at Camp Liberty and I took it out on one patrol with me just to know that it was there and carried it home with me from Iraq. And it's done more 5Ks than I care to count, more than a handful of half marathons and it's done a Marine Corps marathon twice. This year will be trip number three.
2: Joe arrives and the whole group sets off down the street, then over the first of three bridges that will cross along the 5K route. The view of the group is striking. A sea of vibrant red shirts. Across their backs, the words, enriching veterans' lives. On their shoulders, the words, it's our turn. Over their heads, stream five giant American flags. Almost immediately, cars start honking at us. The group erupts in cheers. Oh, I run alongside Lou Day, one of the flag carriers. And, and why, why are you a member? What, what, why is it important for you?
1: Well, that's a great question and it's important to me. It's important to me to be able to say thank you, to be able to raise the flag as I just did when that horn blew. I love this country, I love the people that make up this country, and I really believe that we can make a difference as a civilian to those veterans that sometimes unfortunately feel like they're left
2: behind. Lou is a civilian. He's 48 years old and has been a part of Team RWB for over a year. Every Saturday, he drives an hour each way to join his friends for this workout which isn't your typical club run.
1: We could line up and say who's fast, who's slow, who has this pace, who has that pace. That's not what this is about. It's about community, it's about as one. We we start together, we finish together. As you can see now, we are walking because it's a group run. All levels come out, if we walk, we walk. We run, we run. If we run, walk, run, walk, it's what we do. We hang a left, cross
2: a second bridge, and slow down to a walk. We pick up the pace once we're on a quiet road along the Lehigh River. And that's when I run up to a big guy with a gray mustache. Don James was an aviator who served in the Navy for 26 years. He's been with Team RWB for about four months. He's impressed that so many civilians care so much about veterans. And he sees a lot of parallels between the military and what a group like Team RWB offers.
1: That's huge to see these young kids out here supporting our veterans and yet they've never stepped one foot inside of a military uniform. They're trying to understand what we, as veterans, go through in the service. We grew up with certain regiments, certain disciplines, knowing that we've got to be physically fit, ready to go at any time. This group embodies that, trying to make sure that we don't ever forget preparedness and camaraderie and teamwork
2: and they're turning around. Suddenly, the runners up ahead pull a Yui and head towards those of us at the back of the pack to close the gap. There is no sense that we're slowing them down. No frustration, just laughter. All they care about is sticking together.
4: This is the part that I absolutely love. I love playing. It's not about showing people what they can't do, it's about showing people what they can do. Exactly. And I... I I hold the athletic director position for the team and I love this. I love connecting with people through blood, sweat, and tears, like that's my thing, you know?
2: So, As the runners regrouped, Michelle shared more with me about what she thinks makes Team Red, White, and Blue so unique. There's,
4: there's no obligation. It's not like you sign up with the team and you have to come to X amount of events per month. No, you come when you can. We understand everybody has lives, we're all busy. You know, we, we just offer consistent opportunities for both veterans and civilians to be around one another and just form those relationships and bonds. And that's what this is all about. You know, I kind of, I love that I can go to an event and look at everybody here and, and practically know what's going on in their personal lives, you know? And through the power of, of physical activity, we can battle some of those depressions that they might be going through. And you know, form these relationships. I think that's the most important thing that
2: each and every one of us get out of this. By now, we've reached the base of the towering, rusted labyrinth that is the Bethlehem Steel Stacks. We take a detour and walk up several flights of stairs to an elevated walkway. The runners stop for a quick photo, then, running and walking, we cross the last bridge and head back. I walk the final few blocks with Valotine Angel Croft. Today marked her first 5K ever. In fact, she says this is the first time she's run in 17 years.
5: I'm a civilian. Two of my kids. I have five kids. My two oldest boys are veterans. One is Army. Just got back a week ago from uh, his second deployment. My other one is a Marine. Uh, also went on deployment. At one point, they were in a deployment at the same time, one totally north, one totally south of Afghanistan. Valotin is 53 and is a licensed therapist who works
2: with veterans and has studied trauma. She first learned about the group from an intern at work who was a member of Team Red, White and Blue and a veteran.
5: One of my kids was having a really hard time. My Marine was having a really hard time. And I put my intern a little bit on the spot. I said, well, I know a veteran that really needs help. Can you help him? He said, yep. So as we were talking he was emailing people from our team right here red white and blue find my son connected him to red white and blue and he has changed his life since then he's part of them he runs with them they're positive they're enthusiastic they're encouraging they're encouraging to connect with your family and your community and he has made an enormous difference
2: Valotin believes that what makes Team Red, White and Blue so unique is the importance it places on civilians and veterans doing stuff together. From a mental health perspective, there's a lot of power in that and a lot of potential for healing. I've
5: heard of a lot of veterans groups that are only veterans. I've worked with uh, veterans I were from the Vietnam War who would come to me and I said, "But." You've been to support groups for a good 30 years. What, what do you guys do? Why are you really not doing well? So what are your support groups about then? And they said, well, every time we come together, we rehash all the war stories and we up each other. So now the war stories have become so ridiculous. That, but that's what we do. Uh-huh. And that is not healthy. I believe that's not healthy. It's not, there's nothing wrong with talking about it, but you cannot keep doing this over and over and over again. And that's where you see them struggle. They're not moving on. If you have flashbacks, all that stuff, you are just refeeding it. Right. And when they're with you, this team, there's occasions where they talk about it, but they're real life. They're going, I hear, I, you know, the first time I started walking with them, I listen to their stories and they're talking about their family lives and their kids and, and their jobs. And they're telling jokes and they're supportive of each other. One time I was going to meet them for a walk. And I texted them, I'm gonna be 15 minutes late, stuck in traffic, go ahead, I'll catch up. And they said, no, we're not leaving without anyone. We're all waiting for you. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So it's real teamwork on a different scale.
2: And I think that's very healthy. And then we finished the run as we started it, as a team. As the group gathers for a photo, an older, slight woman with a wide-brimmed hat approaches us. She says her name is Suzanne, and that her husband was a Navy pilot. She says she saw the red shirts and the American flags and just had to come over. Thank you all because the families don't get noticed very much. And you know, you're moving your kids around. I moved, I think, 23 times. My daughter one day said, mom, how many states have I lived in? And I said, you know how that sounds strange to the people who've lived here their whole life. Thank you all. So very much. much. I want you to know I was actually on my way to the hardware store.
5: And I came out of my way. <laughs> so Thank you.
2: Justin Daniels, the chapter captain, hands her a bracelet printed with Team RWB's logo and website. He and the others all invite her to join their chapter. Sure, they run, do CrossFit, hike and race and obstacle events. But they also go to baseball games, hold trivia nights, and have picnics and potlucks together. Everyone is welcome, they tell her. I ask her a few questions and she gives me a hug. She is that moved by the runners and their mission to serve each other. She walks away with tears in her eyes. Justin Daniels understands how she feels. Justin is a civilian and he told me how profoundly being a part of this team has affected his sense of identity and purpose. And perhaps even more importantly, it's given him a circle of friends that he can relate to. So this
1: group has been really important in my life a few years ago I was in a place where I couldn't go out socially and, and even just the simple social interactions like having conversation uh, you know these kind of things for me a couple of years ago were almost impossible you know I, I would go to parties or gatherings and things and I would be the guy on the other side of the room without the ability or this this, this gripping anxiety and insecurity about talking to anybody but now having a group that I know that's here and you know we're supportive, this kind of community, and this commitment to each other has made it so easy to become just be who I am, who I want to be, because we all are who we are, and we all have things that we've kind of worked through and worked past to get along our journey.
2: As an Army vet who served from 2002 to 2008 and ran his first half marathon last year, Mihai Sofroni fully understands the power
1: of this community. Um, just escape of, of this place and, and this group of people that you don't know, have to sit at home be depressed, drink, do drugs and blame society or blame everything else that uh, that happens um, it, it's it's somewhere that you can go and, and use up that extra energy and I mean it feels great running down the road and hearing all those people honking their horns and and screaming and, and uh, with flags waving I mean that's a great feeling right like Sometimes I get a little bit of goosebumps going going down my spine uh, because of it, and I love it.
2: For Michelle, the chapter's athletic director, it's brought her close to people she's long respected but struggled to connect with. I can't
4: honestly say that anybody in my family has been a veteran close to me. So I felt detached. I felt like there is a gap. Everybody's talking about this gap. I'm like, well, what is it? Well, I I see it now. it's brought us closer. And putting on the same exact shirt as a veteran, I can't tell you what that does for me as a civilian, you know, to feel like it's my turn. It's my turn to help you bridge that gap. And, you know, if you're struggling with something, let me help you. Let me let me show you that we do have a lot more in common, you know, even though you might be struggling with PTSD or survivor's remorse, you know. We still have the same everyday problems you know that we can talk about you know get through together the one thing that i love about running specifically like you can show up to a race and there's people of all shapes all sizes all ages and you can look next next to you and say okay if if this person can do it i can do it too and that's the kind of thing i want to show people especially veterans if they've been out of the service for a number of years and maybe have gained significant amount of weight they might feel intimidated to come out to an event They might feel like well these people are have this expectation of me of being a hero and i physically can't run a mile drop drop that you know drop your pride right now you know we want you to to see that team rwb will help you get across that finish line sign up for your first 5k we're going to walk you to that finish line if we need to you know
2: team rwb has gotten bernadette baker the chapter social director over a lot of finish lines It has helped forge her identity as a runner and given her purpose and goals to shoot for. She's now training with a group for her first marathon this fall. In fact, 12 of the chapter members will run the Marine Corps Marathon in October. She has no doubt she'll make it to the finish line. If she has a tough spot, she'll look right or look left, and her teammates will be right there, encouraging her forward and never leaving her side. There, everybody welcomes you with open arms. You got, a, you got an eagle on your shirt, you got a friend. You know, it's like, it's, it's just great.
0: And now it's time for The Kick with editors Brian Dalek and Sarah Lorge Butler.
6: Okay, Sarah, so starting off the kick, Lauren Fleshman, at the end of last week, she made a big announcement.
7: Yes, she announced that she is retiring from elite racing. She's only 34 years old, but she's really been bitten by the injury bug in the past few years. But she was a top competitor for the U.S. for many years. She was a 5,000-meter national champion twice. Mm -hmm. In 2012, she made the final of the Olympic trials in the 5,000 meters after having suffered an injury for months and she'd only been able to train about 11 miles per week so for her to make the final of that race
6: 11 miles per week I'm
7: um, 11 <laughs> right and It was just an incredibly gutsy performance watching her get into the final. She was basically only able to sprint train during that period.
6: Yeah, she's not really going to go away despite not being in professional races anymore.
7: That's right. She has an incredibly popular blog, Ask Lauren Fleshman. She's also written for Runner's World at times. But what people love about her is how she keeps it real for women especially. She shared pictures of her body after childbirth and you know, they weren't necessarily the most flattering or what you think of when you think of an elite athlete and what an elite athlete should look like. She mm-hmm. had a little bit of extra fat and she was very honest with that and people really just opened up to her before opening up to them. Yeah,
6: and it's one of the it was one of the most popular articles we probably ever put on runnersworld.com. And anytime we post it today, people still really just kind of like seeing that perspective from her.
7: Yeah, absolutely. She's just very honest, and that's definitely appreciated.
6: So sadly, Lauren never made an Olympic team, you know, despite her solid career. But on the other side of the globe in Australia, a dad of three, his name is Scott Westcott, he comes back from never making a team from 2000 to 2012. So that's four Olympics. And at 40, he makes his first Olympic team in the marathon.
7: He's also, in a different way, just a really inspiring figure. And he joins the ranks of Masters Olympians like Meb Kofleski and Bernard Lagat. But Meb and Bernard have both made multiple Olympic teams. The thing about this guy, Scott Westcott, that's so great, is that this is his first time at age forty and he kept the dream alive all these years.
6: Yeah, and so after twenty twelve he retires. I say that in air quotes, and he starts coaching, but he's running with you know, the people he's coaching and he knows he still has that little bit left in him.
7: Yes. I think the quote was that, you know, he isn't the sort of coach to stand there with a, a stopwatch sitting in the in the bleachers. He was out there doing the workouts with his athletes and yeah. keeping in Pretty darn good shape, as he proved.
6: Yeah, and so for his fortieth birthday, he just he just decides I'm going to run the Berlin Marathon, and oh, he does it in two hours, fifteen minutes, and thirty seconds. Well, it ends up that that puts him the qualifying standard, and he can make it on the Australian team. So kind of a surprise to him in a sense because he thought he was done. But um, you know, even people like his kids' school teachers were pretty shocked that. This dad of three is now getting to his Olympic dream.
7: Yes, I love that part of it when the kindergartner goes in and tells his kindergarten uh, teacher that his dad is going to the Olympics, and she really just didn't believe him until she confirmed the story with another teacher. (laughs) It's pretty great.
6: Okay, so we're talking a lot about like top-level runners in this kick, so Lauren Fleshman retires from professional racing, Scott in Australia makes the Olympic team, but... For another subset of runners just trying to enter the professional ranks, it's, it's not really a glamorous life, and we did a story on that this week.
7: Yes. For every Lauren Fleshman and Scott Westcott, there are probably 10 or 15 or 20 other runners who never even get close to that level. But a group called Roadrunners Club of America organized a conference two weekends ago for recent college graduates who are trying to make it as a pro runner. And they had a series of seminars for them. We sent a reporter there to hear what it was all about.
6: And just to reiterate, so these are runners right out of college, young runners. And maybe they're not getting signed by big shoe companies, but, you know, they're on that level should they put up really good times on a professional Circuit.
7: Yeah, they might have won an NCAA championship or finished in the top three in the NCAAs. One of the women that they invited to attend made it to the semifinals of the 1500 at the Olympic trials recently. So they're definitely right on the bubble. They're almost there. And with a little bit of the right kind of encouragement, they might do very well as a running pro.
6: But What was interesting about the story was, you know, this conference is giving them tips on what they should do. And one that stood out to me is. Like, you don't make that much money, and you should probably just stay on your parents' health insurance.
7: Yes. I mean, they are saying for a lot of these runners, when they're first starting out, they're making less than $15,000 a year as a runner. So definitely, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, they can (laughs) stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26 years old, and they should probably do that if they can. And
6: the other thing was you need not – it's just like a job. You need a resume, but you kind of need a running – Resume.
7: Right. You need to write down what your best times are, what your best finishes are at different events. And if you can provide a photo of yourself winning a race, all the better. And there was some specific advice about that, which I know (laughs) This is
6: something I always do, and that's why I loved it, but go ahead.
7: Yeah, you're not supposed to stop your watch at the finish line, because if you do, it wrecks the finish line photo. Instead Mm -hmm. of your moment of glory with your arms up in the air, looking happy- Right. It's like you bent over and reaching across (laughs) your body to stop your watch, when really the race most likely has a much more sophisticated (laughs) timing system than whatever is on your wrist. Yeah.
6: But the most important takeaway was...
7: You want to get a part-time job. First of all, you need to supplement your income, but it also works better for people to just have something else to think about during the day besides their running. Because if they're only thinking about running all the time and it starts to go badly, then you're just kind of stuck in your own head all the time. So have other hobbies, have other interests, and have other sources of income.
6: Okay, so like a decade out of college. So this isn't for me, but I, I will at least take... A bit of advice on not always going for my watch at the finish line and try to have like a better finish line photo. Yeah. Maybe that'll get me somewhere with something, but.
7: At least you'll look good on social media when you share that image.
6: All right. Thanks for doing the kick with us again, Sarah.
7: Thank you, Brian.
0: That's it for this week's show. I'm Runner's World editor in chief, David Willey. Please take a second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. It helps other listeners find the show, and it's how we figure out what to do to make the show better. We really do read and care about all of your comments, so thanks. The show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek with help from James Gray. The Runner's World Show is part of the Panoply Network. Please join us next week when we speak with Alexi Pappas filmmaker, writer, elite runner, and now Olympian. You won't want to miss it, so we will see you next week.